you know, like when you see that kind of stuff happening, you're like, you know what, the world is crazy, but I think it's going to be okay. I think there are so many stories out there that need to be told, you know, that absolutely need to be told. People are really good, right? And given yeah. an opportunity to help, they help. is a feeling or state of well-being and contentment. When sitting down with Dan Roten, the executive director of HopeWorks in Camden, New Jersey, Dan said, I have the best job in the world because I get the opportunity to enhance and change people's lives. I am an extra in an inspirational movie every day, and who doesn't want that job? He went on to say, you could definitely make a movie about any one of these youngsters, and it would be a blockbuster. As Dan explained, Hopark's mission is to give humility, dignity, courage, and the inspiration to many who may otherwise not be as fortunate. Placing these youngsters into Fortune 500 companies allows these individuals to transition and prosper, not only financially, but also gives them life skills and professional skills needed to move on with their lives. And as Dan spoke, he had this radiating glow that illuminated his face, soul, and spirit. Truly Dan's purpose and his spark is continually being lit. And undoubtedly, his passion for what he does has been defined and found. Hey everyone, this is Helene, and this is coming from my heart. Dan is living his best life. And for many of us, that may be an aspiration or clearly a wish. So my coming from the heart listeners out there, as you settle in and get comfortable to listen to Dan's episode, please remember that tomorrow, March 5th, is the last day to take advantage of the 25% off electric yoga. They have the cutest merch, loving their tie-dye and honor yoga super soft leggings right now. So definitely want you to share in that experience. They are super soft and just a lot, I don't know, just, just amazing. Anyway, so get yourself some leggings, get yourself some merchandise and take advantage of that 25%. And as I said a moment ago, you guys know what you need to do. My coming from the heart family out there, you need to sit back, you need to relax, take a moment, get some wine, coffee, cookies, whatever you need. And just listen to this awesome conversation with Dan. We have Dan today from HopeWorks. Hey, Dan. It's located in North Camden. And Dan, we're super psyched, super pumped to, I keep saying wavy, even though my co-host Alexandra's not physically sitting next to me. Of course, it is our podcast. So yeah, excited to have this conversation and find out a lot about your organization and what you guys do and what you're up to. I know we had a great conversation in our pre about just things that you guys do for the community. So welcome, Dan, how are you? Oh, great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I'm excited yeah. to chat with you today. Yeah, we're so excited to chat with you. And of course, I came to you through the Boys and Girls Club here in Atlantic City. I saw you had some connection on LinkedIn and then I thought, hmm, that sounds really cool because we're trying to connect to lots of different organizations and communities and so forth. So I'm thanking you for taking the time today to come say hello. So I guess I always start the interviews or we start the interviews when Alexandra is hanging. About your journey, how did you get to do what you're doing? How did you get to this director position? And Tell a little bit about your journey of the how and the why and the where. Oh, sure, sure. So really how I ended up at HopeWorks really begins uh, as a teacher, right? I'm a teacher, I was a math teacher. But I think what's important is I wasn't just a teacher at a traditional school, I was a teacher at a detention facility. Right. Which I have to tell you is about the most fun job you can have. Wow. I, I mean, what I loved, I loved every day about it. What I really loved about it was like, you know, make no mistake, right? The young men, it was all men there. They had done bad things. They, they mm -hmm. could be, you know, a handful, right? But here was the awesome part about it. And I would say it to my young people, but, and I really meant it. And I really think it's true is, you know, the children would be like, you know, Mr. Roden, why, why are you teaching here? Why are you teaching with us? You know, and I always would say, you know, because uh, I'm teaching at the most selective school in the city. 
and you know, it's kind of funny. It sounds funny, but it's actually true, right? Like a young person to get in detention has to work pretty hard. They have to, you don't get that in there for like one stolen car or, or one drug deal, right? Now, what does that mean? That means they've done bad things for sure, but it means something else too, uh-huh. right? It means they got fired. They got energy. They got drive, right? These are not right. people in my classroom that were sitting in their mom's basement playing video games. They were on the streets. They were trying to make money. They're trying to do something with their lives. Now, because of where they grew up, because of racism, because of so many other reasons, what they chose to do ended them up with me in detention, right? But the core things they had, drive, energy, ambition, they brought those with them to detention, right? And so it wasn't never, you know, you had to bring your A game when you were in the classroom, make no mistake, right? You had to be ready. You had to be delivering something of value. But if you did, those young men were ready for it, right? They were ready for it. The, if they'd grown up somewhere else, they would have been Mark Zuckerberg. They would have been entrepreneurs, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And it was so much fun. And, and wow. I did that for years, probably about 15 years. It was fantastic. And then finally... Probably the most frustrating part for me, though, was that for so many of my young people, though, they got out, they did amazing things. I have uh, students that I've taught that are Obama fellows that have started their own businesses that I just, I mean, it was amazing things. But the really frustrating part, right, was I was watching these young men transform their lives. And in order for them to get to that transformational moment, they had to get locked up. That makes no sense, right? And so when I heard about the opportunity to come to HopeWorks and help them really grow and scale their social enterprises. And HopeWorks runs businesses to help young people transform their lives. I was like, I know the young men and the young women. I know the young people that would make this work, right? That are entrepreneurial, wow. hardworking. And so that's how I ended up coming to HopeWorks, right? HopeWorks was not founded by me. It was a fantastic idea that's been around for a while. But my job when mm. I came to HopeWorks was really to scale and grow it. And how I got there was just this experience of working again at the most selective school in the city, right? And uh, wow. working with some young men that were amazing. Wow. So that's how I ended up at Hopeport. Wow. What an awesome story. I mean, looking back at yourself teaching math, and of course I'm a teacher and I, you know, taught second language and, and all different aspects of the teaching profession. Was this your first and only job teaching at that school? Did you have other, other experiences or was this like the first job you had coming out of college teaching? Sure. So no, it was my first full-time job with a degree, like many people. And so it was not my first full-time job. It was not my first job, right? Like a lot of young people at HopeWorks or at the school where I taught, you know, I didn't have kind of a clean or easy pathway to college, right? So I had worked many other places. I worked at a, as a doorman at a hotel for a okay. long time as a valet. Um, wow. So wow. yeah, so cool. so it was my first, we'll call it bachelor's degree job. Got it, right? got it. But got not it. my got first it. job, if that's helpful. Got it. Okay, so but, and, and back to the job aspect for teaching, it was your first teaching position. Yep. Okay, got it. So then here you are, you're doing your thing. What was the time frame that you were at that school that you sort of segued into HopeWorks? Sure. So I was a teacher for a long time at that school, probably about 10, 12 years. And I was vice principal at the school for another three or oh, four wow. years. So I was there for a while, right? For sure. And then just as, you know, really looking at the transformation the young men were making and how could we generalize that? I got a little frustrated mm-hmm. with the, the inability to mm-hmm. kind of stop young people from ending up with me, right? So that's when I moved into the opportunity at HopeWorks. Got it. Got it. Did you ever think like, God, that would be my job, my passion? Because it's I could see like the energy in you when you start describing how you saw the spark. And we're going to get to that in a moment. You, sp- you saw the spark. You saw the light in these individuals, these guys who really clearly other people did not see. And other people may have passed on with, oh, you know, they were on the street and they were this and that. But I obviously there's something about you within yourself that you saw this, again, I'm using the word light, that these people could be much more than just that. Other, another person in your teaching job, in your profession, would have been like, this is my job. I'm, t- you know, I'm teaching these kids and that's what I'm doing. And I go home and that's the end of that. But you had, you have a gift within yourself, obviously, that you saw this potential. You saw something that you thought was much more that needed to be explored. Do you, where does that come from? Is that like from your upbringing? Is that something you think within yourself? 
You know, I, I think that's that's generous. I think probably more likely is that, you know, just rather than kind of entering the field with a desire to help or a desire to change lives, which sometimes I think folks do, that can be uh-huh. inspirational, but it also can be very blinding, right? Uh-huh. So if you enter a field saying, I want to help, and that's what I want to do, I want to help these people, these young people, you already hear that phrase, these people, right? It implies, right? that you have something that they don't and you are going Absolutely. to bestow it on them. Now that may not be what people need, but when you, when you approach a profession or a job in that way, naturally you're not going to see all the richness of the people in front of you because you are standing there in a place of knowledge and help, right? Mm-hmm. I entered the field because I needed a job <laughs> and, and it was something that I could do my family came from a place that, uh, you know, I'm a white person, so obviously much more privileged, but economically very similar to some of the young men. Mm-hmm. I didn't take this job to help. I didn't really take the job to make their lives better. I took the job because I needed one, and it seemed like something I could do, and right. I had a degree in it, right. um, which ironically you would think would make it harder for me, but I found in my experience it made it so much easier because I could meet the young people that were actually there not the young people that I imagined were there. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, wanna explore that a little bit? Explain to our listeners what you mean by that? Yeah, sure. So like what I have seen, right, is sometimes when well-intentioned folks, right, traditionally white folks, right, but uh-huh. it can be other folks, enter a situation with, and you ask them, why are you here? And they say, cause I wanna help. I wanna change lives. Mm-hmm. Great, love the intent but the impact is not a good one. The impact means if I'm here to help people, that naturally implies that the people I'm surrounding myself with don't have something that I do, are not as capable as I am, are not as sophisticated as I am, do not have the education that I have, right? All those those Mm -hmm. nuanced assumptions, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is because my strong desire is to help people who are less fortunate than me, Mm-hmm. I must perceive the people I'm working with as less fortunate than me. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And what I'm thinking is that you thought of yourself as one of them. You didn't elevate yourself. You didn't put yourself on a pedestal. You became part of them, one of them. If that's okay for me to say that, is that true? Yeah. Well, I, I, the only thing I would I would say is I, like I was never one of them, right? Like there were probably okay. black and brown young people. I was a white person. I had right, a bachelor's right, degree, right. but but I think right. the important part is like I knew I brought X, Y, and Z to the table, and I knew that they brought A, B, C to the table, right? Exactly, exactly. So well, yes, you know, so it's like making a sandwich. You need bread. You need tomatoes. You need ham or whatever, right? But there's not one that is like more important than the other, well, right? You, you became this, this person that they could relate to, that, they, that you, have, you definitely have this personality where I think it was easy for them just to sit down and have a conversation. And then I think in life, there's certain people that, you, that they put themselves in a position of being better than someone else. And right. specifically in the environment that you were working in, there was something they attached to. And I can see that in your personality as well, that you were easy for them. I use the word easy, easy, and that they could relate to you that, yes, of course you were different and you're, you're white and they're black and they're from different homes and you had a different home and, and a different upbringing, but there was something that connected you to that situation. And honestly, it sounds like, and if you can comment on this, that hmm. they fulfilled something within you. Well, it was, right? Because, you know, and, and fundamentally, right, like what I brought to the table was I knew math, right? And I knew how to tell them about it. You know, what they brought to the table was the drive to do something with it, right? Like math is awesome, but yes. it's kind of useless unless you're building rockets with it, unless you're making financial decisions with it. Like, right, it's right. no good on itself, right? So I could bring all right. the algebra in the world, right? But in, until right. I threw it in the pot with this youthful ambition and drive, and they started saying, right. I could start my own business. I can use this to get yes. into college. I could, yes. now that, yes. now you're making something worth having, right? I could stand in yeah. my room and just talk, right? But it's absolutely. Oh my God. Well, I applaud that. And I think that for myself as a teacher and my best model were my parents. My parents were educated. Mm. My mom was a reading recovery teacher, teaching in an industry 
inner city school. My dad was a school principal and taught classes at a community college. And he would always extract whatever that may have been like, for an example, if he was teaching a math course or a small business course in a way that it was approachable, like, okay, this subject might be very dry, but let's like, let's talk about it, how you can utilize this, how you can use this. Because quite frankly, I think if there was another type of a teacher teaching, then these people that you were teaching, these guys that you were teaching, definitely would not have gone into businesses and opportunities in their life because the person who was, you know, really became a mentor to them, their teacher, wasn't doing it for them. And I think that's honestly a problem. And I can say that because I was teaching for quite some time in grad school and elementary school with teach with some teaching. I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Some teaching professionals that they don't take the concept of whatever they're teaching and make it useful. And I try to have always done that for my kids as well. So I think that you've obviously that worked for you. And, and obviously these people did quite well for themselves. Now let's switch back to a little bit to HopeWorks. I'll talk a little bit about the origin of that. Now you mentioned, you kind of were saying in the little, I guess in the beginning, mm -hmm. how it came about, or it's been, I don't know, around for a while, if you'd like to share a little bit of that. Yeah, so HopeWorks was founded in the year 2000. And even though it's not a religious organization, it's completely secular, it was founded by three churches. You know, the churches saw that there was a need for young people to have an option. It was 2000, the internet was just becoming a thing. And the, mm -hmm. the churches led by Father Jeff Putoff, who really did the foundational work, said, look, how do we get young people engaged? Computers are a thing, right? So they set up some computers, they figured it out and started teaching young people to code and do computer work, right? And that was really the driving force for a lot of HopeWorks history, right? Is let's figure it out. Let's use technology to help young people change their lives, right? And for the first part of HopeWorks history, it was really just a lot of innovation, a lot of feeling our way. And then in 2012, what HopeWorks, and this is when I came to HopeWorks, kind of the thing we did is we realized we had to grow it, right? And the two things that we had to do to grow it is first, become more effective. What we identified was that many of our youth were successful, but many of our young people weren't successful. And one reason was because we were teaching them how to code, but we weren't helping them heal. We weren't helping them deal with the hurt and loss that they had experienced. So we took on this trauma-informed approach, which really allowed us you know, the analogy I use about trauma-informed approaches, which, you know, um, is certainly not clinical, but is sure. it's the difference between seeing someone with a broken ankle and saying, well, you just got to try harder and then getting angry at them when they don't run. That's right. an old school show some grit kind of method, right? Sure. As opposed to seeing someone with a broken ankle and saying, hey, your ankle's broken. It's going to be hard for you to run, but we see this all the time. Here's how we can help it heal. It'll take time and work on your part, but when you're done, you'll be able to really run and we're willing to invest that time in you so you can do it. That's the difference between the two approaches, right? And you can see okay. why a trauma-informed approach, that analogy takes a little longer, takes a little sure. more expertise, but is so much more effective, right? Yes, absolutely. No, I, I, love, I love your analogy. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. So I guess to tell our listeners, like, give us a day in your work. What exactly happens? How do people come to you specifically within a socioeconomic need? I think in our pre-conversation, you mentioned a little bit about the homeless. You, you also mentioned about when people come to you, then they can put the position of HopeWorks on their resume, which I think was an awesome thing. So would you like to comment on pretty much all that? Yeah, well, so like kind of how HopeWorks works, right? Right. is um, young people walk through the front door of HopeWorks sometimes at the worst moment of their lives, right? They Typically, mm -hmm. other young people have told them to come. They're over 90% of our youth are referred by other young people. When our young people walk through the door, a lot of them are experiencing homelessness. Some of them have been trafficked. Other young people, school hasn't worked out for them. They're stuck. On average, somebody who's coming into the front door of HopeWorks is making about $700 a year. So they are not making any money. Right, Exactly. They walk through the door and they want to change, you know, and the kind of the promise that we make to them is that their future doesn't have to look like their past. Now, how we keep that promise, right, is it starts with training. We train them in technology, front-end web development, 
geographic information systems, data visualization. But just like we said, because of our trauma-informed approach, we know that just training them in technology isn't enough. We help them kind of heal from the obstacles they've overcome. We teach them the skills they need to just not survive, which they've done really well, but thrive in a professional way. Ah, yes, yes. Right? But you know what? Training, and even when they're professional and ready to go, that's still not enough, right? Especially for black and brown young people that are often facing systemic racism, right? They need experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we give them experience. We hire them. So HopeWorks runs three technology businesses in web design and development, digital mapping and data visualization, and wow. even training schools and nonprofits. And it makes up about a third of our revenue each year. We hire young people as our employees, and they build these products for our clients. Our clients range as big as Comcast and American Water and as small as uh, mid-sized small businesses all over the country. So young people wow. train with us. They work for us. They build real experience and a real portfolio of work. Last year, HopeWorks paid over $600,000 in wages directly to young people. Wow. They train with us. They work for us. They get experience. And then they move on to industry, into living wage jobs. Um, kind of like the, the cheat sheet is they come in, make <laughs> about $700 a year. They walk out, typically making on average about $38,000 per year. Amazing. And wow. about 90% of them are still employed a year later. So, I mean, it, it feels pretty awesome. I would think it feels more than awesome. I mean, it's it's such a multi-dimensional type of thing that you guys are doing. And you know, and you mentioned very clearly it's not just about getting that job or putting them in that job. It's also everything else that goes with it. And also you mentioned systemic racism and that. I mean, how you know, how is that being handled right now? Of course, I mean, it's always been an issue and it's always been a problem, but specifically that it's been highlighted so much within the last year. How does that come into play with the population of people that you're dealing with? For us, I think what we see is it has come into focus for a lot of people across the country in the last year, right? We've seen it on TV. We've seen it through uh, video footage. For our young people and the folks that work with them, there isn't anything new, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yes, and, it does make sense. Yeah. And so I think in some ways it makes our work easier because we have companies and other folks that are finally kind of recognizing that it exists, um, which certainly yes. makes it easier. And of course, too, transparently, there's also a little bit of frustration that like now we're paying attention <laughs> and a little bit of anxiety. Oh, well, with you. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Yeah, that's how I feel too. Like, you know, my mom taught in an inner city school forever and having inclusion and everything else was so much a part of my life. That's how I was brought up. That's how I raised my kids. And now all of a sudden, you know, although the world has recognized it at other, other times too, people are focusing in, oh, wait a minute, let's, let's pay attention to that, which is really discerning, honestly, in many ways, I'm sure, quite frankly. But referencing to what you were saying, it's made it a little bit easier. Why has it made it easier, you said, like specifically? So just simple examples. Uh, in the past, maybe a company might call us and say, we'd love to hire young people, but we require a bachelor's degree, mm -hmm. right? And our pushback typically would be, well, your job has nothing to do with a college degree. You know, your CEO has a degree in art history. Like, why do they need a bachelor's <laughs> degree? Are you screening for actual skill or are you screening more for privilege, right? Uh, yes. Yes. And, you know, transparently, folks were receptive, but every time we had to have that conversation, we had to kind of start from zero, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. About privilege and why some folks get yeah. degrees and don't and why some folks don't. And it was it was worth it. The investment was worth it. But boy, it's tiring, right? Yeah. No, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. Now, because of this growing awareness and because it's in the water, Half of that conversation's already been done. Folks are calling us saying, look, we're aware that we may have screen privilege. We're aware that some of our hiring requirements may be racist, not on purpose, right? We're aware that some of our tools may only be bringing in white candidates. How can we work with you to help change that? And, you know, that is a much less tiring conversation to have, right? Yeah, yeah. God, that must be so liberating for you just to hear that aspect. It's helpful, right? And it is also helpful too, because often the other thing that would happen is companies would want to hire a brown or black young person into their company. 
And, mm -hmm. you know, typically at HopeWorks, if, if a company doesn't have any brown or black people working for them, we know it's probably not a good placement for our young people, right? Yeah. It's not going to be a yes. good environment for them. It's not going to be a place where they're going to feel safe. The likelihood of them experiencing yes. aggressions are really high. And so we're yes. able, now, again, to have that conversation with companies and say things like, right now, you know, the profile of your company is not one where a brown or black person would typically mm -hmm. be successful. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. because this conversation, we more easily start the conversation about how they can mitigate it. Let's get some brown and black people in your company that can act as mentors that can build a culture. Let's work on an affinity group. There's lots of things you can do. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. You know, but before some of this, every single time we would have to talk to companies about how it's not that you are having trouble finding good candidates. It's that you mm -hmm. don't have any like people want to work right so those things certainly make it easy and i think the key for us is like we have to keep the conversation uh alive right oh absolutely yeah and thanks for those comments yeah absolutely i agree with that and now it's almost like it's the opposite side where they're really wanting you because almost in not say in all circumstances but that's the trendy thing to do that's the thing everyone's doing is to cop on board and and have more you know more presence of black and brown people Whereas comparatively in the past where it would have to be such a struggle to to have that. But I also like what you commented on is the fact that it seems that if I'm saying this correctly, mm -hmm. that you are doing the parenting and I'll use the words in quotes of these individuals that you're placing. You're their advocates, like you're putting them into these work environments and you want them to feel comfortable. You want them to feel like everything's okay. You know, when I say everything's okay, that they're not going to feel like they're the only black or brown person working at this specific company. And I like the conversation that you said to the company, like when you start to develop more of that, you know, of a certain type of a population there, then maybe this will be a future conversation. So yeah. I mean, I think you want to comment on that, like you, back to the part that I said about the parenting aspect, like your organization, and I use the parent concept because it's really kind of what it is. You're making sure like the, you have a vested interest in the these people that you are placing. Well, yeah. And I think, I think really, even if you think of it like, I don't know about parenting even, but so much as like invested in success rather than appearance, right? So one Absolutely. of the dangers of our field is I can say I worked hard, and this kind of goes back to our original, uh, the original uh, conversation about organizations that exist because they were created because people wanted to help mm -hmm. versus organizations that exist and they were created to change the status quo. Okay, yeah. So, so an organization that, that was created because people wanted to help and make things better Right. Sometimes can be very satisfied by saying, well, we tried. Look at all the young people that were trained. Look at all the effort we put in. And sometimes when those young people don't get jobs or the young people don't stay at those jobs, that's okay because the organization is doing its mission. It is trying to help. And that's why it was created, right? Whereas an organization that exists to change the status quo, right, is, you know what? I don't care how hard we tried. If every single young person that walks through the door doesn't walk out with a job, we have failed, Right. Right. And it doesn't exactly. matter, you know, and, and it doesn't matter whether, well, yes, poverty is difficult. Yes, systemic racism is difficult. Yes, all these things are difficult. And yes. but I always joke like if I went to McDonald's and asked for a hamburger and they said, Well, we 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 I know we said we would have a hamburger for you, but butchering a cow is difficult. So we didn't really <laughs> do it, but we tried our best, I would be livid, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But what I'm, I think what I was really referencing is that you have these people's best interest at heart that, you know, you would want to make sure that you're placing them in a place. It's like, you know, going to a consulting firm where they're going to place you in a specific job. Of course, they're going to make money out of the situation, but it references the same thing. You want to make sure that these individuals have the experience to be able to do the job, do it effectively um, are trained properly and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, and I, you know, your example about McDonald's, some people are just not right for that job, regardless of race and everything else. They're just, the, they're not the right fit. So, I mean, I'm sure, you know, how often does that happen? I mean, what's your success rate with that placing people? So uh, typically it's about 88% of young people are still working in the job 12 months later. Okay. Which if you're tracking it is higher than just any kind of like, you know, like if anyone is placed in a job, their odds of staying in that job for 12 months is below 88, 89%. Right. right? No, no, that's um, great. 
That's great. Yeah, and, it's, and it's really, I think the the key part of it is um, kind of gets back to the original, like our young people are hungry for opportunity. They're ready to go, yeah. right? Yeah. And if they have the right. skills and if they have the support, they're going to do a mm-hmm. fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Now, you just said something about they're hungry. You have lots of different training, obviously, before they're out there and doing the job. You know, some people may not be so hungry. Like, what's the, like, either, do you have motivational speakers that come in to speak to these these kids and or, or or young adults or you know what I or I guess my question is what's the oldest person or, or population of people coming in age wise? Yeah, so typically we work with young people seventeen to twenty six. Okay, okay, um, so that's yeah. you, you know you cap off at that. Okay, so as far as back to you know my thought about the motivation, like how do you motivate? Like what do you do to get these people? I mean, maybe some are not as motivated as others. So actually, that that has not been our experience typically, actually. What we find is everybody's motivated, and but it's a matter of, again, to use a funny analogy, if I'm trying to drive to California, right? And the only way I can see to get there is by driving through a wall, eventually I'm going to stop running into that wall, right? Yes. <laughs> and, right? I mean, I mean, it's just smart, right? If you keep smashing your head into a wall, you're going to stop no matter how much you want to get to California. We don't really change the motivation to get to California, so to speak. We just say, don't go that way. You're going to hit a wall. Go this way. And it's going to look like it's less direct or it's a way you haven't seen before or it's a route you haven't seen, but you're going to stop hitting walls. And when you Uh do hit a ditch or a wall, here's how you use the tow truck to get your car out of it. And once someone understands how to get around the biggest barriers and how to get through the ones that they can't avoid... Mm-hmm. Kind of like the motivation question we find kind of starts to evaporate, right? Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I get it. It sounds like you're giving them more problem solution types of skills to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, I, and I think that's probably one key difference in our approach is we don't believe that the problem is youth don't want to change their lives. What we believe and what we experience is young people aren't sure how, because frankly, the system wasn't built to make it easy for them, right? Right. Like the systemic racism, uh, over-policing of communities, these things, all so many other things, economic redlining are built to make it hard, right? They're, yes. they're built to make it hard for black and brown people. And so then when some of our black and brown young people give up or get frustrated, then we, it's easy for us to say, well, that young person gave up. They're not motivated. They need to show more grit. Mm-hmm. Actually, what they're doing is a pretty logical response to banging their head against the wall, right? They're going to stop yeah. doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if we can say there are, it is harder for you. you, you this isn't an illusion. You know, like it is yeah, harder yeah. for you. And we're going to deal with that, but here's how to get through it. Here's some ways to work your way around it. Boom, they're off and running, right? And that's kind of our experience. Well, yeah, it's, and it sounds, like I said, it sounds like you're giving them concrete solutions to things that they just wouldn't know how to figure out on their own. Because quite frankly, they didn't have someone, a support person in their life to be able to do that. And it seems like that that's that definitely from my perspective, is something that your organization does quite well. You fulfill this this need, this area of gray that, of course, it's frustrating to have these situations. And then, quite frankly, they would go off and do things and on the streets or get into mischief of, of some of some sorts because of their. I would just reference it back to frustration. Yeah, definitely frustration. So what's the window of time, I guess, just to you know, give closure mm. to this topic a little bit, from the time that someone walks into the job to the time that they're actually placed and working? Yeah, so typically when they walk through the door, they start training. It's self-paced, right? Because it's kind of like working out at the gym. You, got, you work out until you're strong, right? right? But typically it takes young people about three months to finish the training. Okay. Um, okay. Then, then they move into a paid internship with us, which typically lasts about six months. And then they move on to employment. So net the average, knowing some folks take longer, some folks take shorter, net typically young people are with us between 10 and 12 months. Wow. And I guess like, let's hear, let's, let's talk about this. What's something that is like this amazing, I mean, you have many, many success stories, obviously out there, but what's something that comes to your mind that is just like, wow a major success story from your experience working there. And again, you've been there for how many years you mentioned? Uh, I've, I've been, all told, I've been at Hubbard's for eight. Okay, so for, in your experience, like what's something that blew you away? 
Well, I mean, lots, of course, but I'll tell you something that happened like literally last week, right? So last okay. week, we got an email from a young man, Jared, who had come to HopeWorks several years ago, trained in our training room, wasn't sure what he was going to do. He worked in our internships. He got an entry-level job as a junior developer at a software company called OpenForge. He moved up, got a good apartment. He was making a living wage, wow. transformed his life. That's great. You know, and that's the HopeWorks store. We see that every day. The part wow. that happened last week that was awesome is I got a message from Jared. And the message was, hey, Dan, I've been promoted and I'm expanding my team. Here's the job description. I would like to hire someone from HopeWorks. Wow. Wow. Yeah, right. That, now that's the stuff, right? That is the wow. Yeah. That is the wow. That is an incredible story. So to hire people, of course, and then obviously he would know how this process works and, and where he came from and so forth and so on. So that's that's pretty amazing. And what's the, what I'm also thinking about, you know, I, I think we touched a little bit about a spark. What's what is really your spark? What what ignites you every day? I mean, come on. I, I am an extra in an inspirational movie every day. Right. Like, like, can you imagine if I had to go to work, you know, and do uh, spreadsheets all day? And, and I do. Sure. I do a lot of spreadsheets. Sure, but then sure. while I'm doing spreadsheets over in the corner is a dude like Jared totally changing the game. And then someone else is walking in the front door saying, I've had a really hard life. I've struggled over this. I was living somewhere, but now I want to do something different. Yeah, I can help them. Like every part of my day. Like you could make a movie about any one of these young people and it would be a blockbuster, right? That's how inspirational these wow. films are. And I am like wow. part, a small part, but I get to be part of that story <laughs> every day, right? Like, of course wow. I'm having a good time. You know what I mean? Like wow. totally, right? Wow, wow. Like wow. who wouldn't be want to be around? Like, you know what I mean? Who want to, there are folks that have to, and I love them, but there are folks that have to do like advertising all day, right? Great, you're, you're working with corporate executives. Cool, I'm sure they're great folks, but come on, I get to work with folks like Jared all day. Like, wow. Who doesn't want this job, right? Wow. Wow. That's incredible. And what it reminds me of, we, we actually had a conversation with this woman. Her name is Jane from um, Your DC Friends. And actually, it's, a, it's an involved story. But what she did is she went and helped the homeless on the streets of Washington, D.C. And her experience, very similar to yours in that aspect, is that she's getting so much out of becoming friends with these people on the street and it's fulfilled a void in her life. And it's just, it's like a give and take. It's not just one way or the other way. And I think that maybe people from the outside who look in at certain jobs or professions may think that you're the one that's always giving, 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 but you may not necessarily be on that receiving end. So clearly what you just mentioned about being an extra in a movie or something like that. I think there are so many stories out there that need to be told, you know, that absolutely need to be told. Now, speaking of that, I know that you've gotten different press from different news media organizations. I think CNN was one that came to mind. And mm -hmm. also I'm looking at my notes here, Wired Magazine. Do you want to comment yeah. on that as well? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's great. They have heard the stories of our young people and want to tell them, right? Uh, you know, uh, the CNN story told the story of Brandon Rodriguez, who remembers as a child moving from apartment to apartment uh, because his mom couldn't, didn't have stable housing. He is now sure. a web developer at Sagapixel and runs his own wow. design business. The wow. Wired Magazine was about a woman by the name of Kalua. Her mother was diagnosed with mental illness, schizophrenia, could not take care of the family. Kalua ended up taking care of both not only herself, but her little sister at a very young age. Uh, obviously was struggling with a lot of things came to HopeWorks, learned web design. She now not only works full-time at the, the city's best digital marketing agency, CR Interactive, she also came back to HopeWorks, helped work with her boss at SEER to develop a curriculum to train more young people in SEO so they could also work at SEER. And now she's a member of our board, right? So that, of wow. course, that's the article in Wired Magazine. Of course, you're going to tell wow. that story, right? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I guess for our listeners out there, if someone wants to get involved in your organization or to get involved in any type of, how, how do they go about it? What should they do? What would be the first I think thing? the first thing is um, just go to the website and hit that contact us link and shoot us a note. 
what we'll do is we'll schedule time for you to come for a virtual tour so you can, you know, virtually, so it's COVID safe. You can meet our young people, see what we do. There are so many ways to get involved. You can volunteer. You can hire our businesses for your web design and uh, data needs, which, again, not only helps your business, but also employs youth. You can connect our youth to employment. There's so many ways people, people can help transform lives, and uh, we'd love to talk to you. Yeah, I was going to say, is there any specific organization that you partner with that you kind of collab with about ideas or things and, I, you know, about what's going on? I mean, so many, right? I, you know, we work with our customers, our big customers. We, like I said, we work with Linode and Sear Interactive and Cooper Hospital, who are training our youth for jobs at those companies. Um, American Water, Comcast are clients of ours, as well as, you know, dozens of other companies. Think Company just did a great MLK Day session. We do mock interviews with Elsevier and wow. Campbell's and uh, Holman Enterprises. Wow. So, so, you know, the nice thing is wow. people are really good, right? And given wow. an opportunity to help, they help. And so we have so many people and so many companies. I mean, I left out probably dozens of companies in that little <laughs> list I just gave. Right. right, no, 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 no. And I like what you just said about people being good and doing good, because I think we've come off a... I say an administration where there's been so much of divisiveness and so much of, you know, people not liking each other or not coming together. Often people are always in the negative of saying, clearly not our podcast, because we're all about the positivity, but, you know, like, oh, you know, everything is, is, is terrible and people are not coming together and there's so people that are not united together. And clearly Hope Works is this like, is, is an organization like so many that just want to unite people together. I guess really, where do you see this organization in the next five years? I won't even say 10 years, like five years, as far as just being this altruistic, wonderful support system for so many. I think our goal is to expand our businesses. The more websites we can build, the more data projects we can do, the more young people we can employ. And we know if a young person works for us, they're going to get permanent employment that is at a living wage and can transform their lives, right? And especially at a time when unemployment in Camden in some areas reaches 20%, like this is not the time to wait, right? Um, so what we are really working to do is really grow our businesses, employ more young people, hire more young people, pay them more so that then they can get out and transform their lives. And just like with the story of Jared, then they can t- yeah. in turn transform other lives. Right. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. That's the so, plan. Yeah. I think it's like a snowball thing, you know, Bingo. Definitely, definitely. And I guess what the la- you know, the last couple of thoughts is what were you like as a kid? Were you this kid that was always out there wanting to help others? Oh no, I got in so much trouble. <laughs> no, I was, okay. I was, I was just a, I was a monster, right? I, really? I got so much trouble. Yeah. I ended up in oh so much goodness. trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I got, you know, and, and uh, so, yeah, so, so, you know, like, uh, you know, I, my mother, I think is just glad I'm not in prison, I think is probably, <laughs> you know, like, so I think that's probably will give you an idea of uh, oh my God. Uh, who I was I- as a kid. Oh, you know, Dan, you are like blowing me away with that, with that, with that response. Cause I'm thinking I was this really great kid. I always wanted to like help people. So I think that's going to kind of like define where and how you got on this path of why, you know, you enjoyed, let's say working with, you know, not such the great kids and wanting to find their spark and wanted to find something within them that could be something that they could contribute to society. Cause isn't that really what it's all about? It's about giving back. I mean, a lot of people may not feel that way who have, who are CEOs of corporations. It might just be all about them. But I think right now the trend is to really care about others. So your mother would be surprised or is surprised. I'm sorry. As to what you, you know, I, I, th- I think she would say, oh, I always knew it was going to turn out OK, but I think we know better. Right. Oh, that's I, so I think, funny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's so I, so, so funny. I yeah. guess the question is, did you share that with your students and did you tell them like, OK, this is me, this was me and this is me? I, so, you know like what? so typically, no. Right. And, and the reason I don't. Right. Is because it's not my story. Does that make sense? The more time we spend talking about me is the less time we're going to spend talking about you. And then the other part, too, is sometimes folks will say, oh, but they'll see that if you did it, they could do it. But that's actually not true. I'm a white man. Right. In America 
you know, my worst day, I'm going to have more privilege than a lot of brown and black young people's best day. So what I find is more helpful is to use my experiences of being a horrible kid, right? That made us so many mistakes. <laughs> to um, inform how I relate to young people rather than make my story a key part of um, their story, if that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. And I think it's a good closure to this conversation is that clearly you're in the right place because maybe your younger self knew like, maybe I shouldn't even be doing like these crazy things or whatever, you know, you were doing at that moment in time. And maybe it was your core of your wanting to give back. When do you think it all started to shift for you where you started to like not be, as you referenced, maybe, I don't know what was so horrible, but you don't want to have to share that on the podcast. But like, when do you think you started to like shift a little bit to the, to the good side, maybe? I think it was just when I had an opportunity to do good things, right? Like, uh, like I was going to do something, right? And, <laughs> and, and so like, you know, there was this bad thing or this good thing. I think a lot of times young people are so restricted in what they can do and how they can show creativity and how they can show energy or even make money right. that like right. one of the things about the so-called correct path is there's only one way to do it. Right. But the one thing about the so-called bad path is you can do it. You know, you, there's only one way to get it right, but you can be wrong in millions of different ways. That's an and interesting so, perspective. Yes. Right. And, and so yeah. often someone who just doesn't want to do that one right way is going to end up being really bad because it is so easy. Once you go off that track, folks, you're just bad and you can do it any way you want. <laughs> and you know what's so interesting that you, you reference it like that, and I love that, is that if you look at really successful, I'm referencing back to corporate professionals or CEOs, you know, there's a lot of things that maybe, I'm not throwing them all under the bus, that they didn't do so ethically along the way. They just got away with it. Yeah. Right. And, and what we also know is that like folks who do everything according to the rules usually do end up with perfectly good lives, but they're not going to be innovators, right? They're not yeah. going to be the ones who challenge the status quo because that's part of being good is not making waves. I love that. I love right? that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think of Steve Jobs as one of right. them, you know, like what if he decided to, you know, stay in college or all the other innovators. And I think it's a great way to reference that as the creativity of being a little bit edgy. Would you, would you agree? Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's it. And the ability to kind of think differently, not yes. maybe not do what you're told, right? Yes. Maybe, maybe not be satisfied with the status quo, right? Yes. These are all traits in third grade that will get you so much detention. Yes. Right. <laughs> I mean, can Absolutely. you imagine, you know, the, the, the kid in third grade who says, hey, teacher, I think sitting at desks and memorizing is a stupid way to learn. I have a new way I'd like to do it. Yes. Attention, right? Yes. The, the third grader that's like, hey, I would like to learn by standing up and running around. Detention, right? Yes. But, but these are the same <laughs> things that in 20 years, they'll be like, oh, he's so innovative, right? And, <laughs> I love that. I Yes, yes. And yes, because I mean, being in the classroom, being, being and remembering, you know, my younger self, but yeah, kind of like thinking out of the box, thinking out of the box, people are why we are able to communicate via virtual and we can thank all our innovators of Microsoft and, and, and Steve Jobs and all these people that thought differently. And I think that your organization, HopeWorks and so many other organizations that see the light or see the spark in people should be so applauded because you definitely are bringing these innovators into our world. So who knows what's gonna happen? You may get a phone call from someone that you supported and who knows, maybe it'll, they'll create the next incredible app that's out there and everyone's gonna be using it, so. <laughs> well, that's the idea, right? That's the idea. And then they can hire the next round of generational youth that we're bringing out of HopeWorks. They can start generating wealth for their own community. And then, um, absolutely. And then we are oh, absolutely out of business, right? Yeah, exactly. And maybe they'll hire you and then you'll Listen, go work for them. <laughs> exactly, a nice consultant gig, I'll take it. Oh my God. Well, this has been so fun. I love, love, love talking to you. And our last moments, or I keep saying our because Alexandra's silently sitting next to me, although she's not clearly here at the moment. We have a segment, which I kind of talked a little bit in the beginning called Heart to Heart. Now, again, gosh, you probably have so many things to mention because of what you do and who you are, but it's really something that an experience 
or an, a situation or a person that has touched you in a special and or an endearing way? Uh, you know what, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something that just happened this week, actually. The really nice thing is one of our young people, it's a young person who's uh, gender non-binary, you know, use the pronouns they and them, has sure. had the experience, you know, they, they've had the experience of not being welcomed in a lot of different places. They came to HopeWorks. They've been doing fantastic work. Just the other day, they posted on LinkedIn. Man, you know, it was really nice post. They're talking about like, I, I feel like this is a place that I belong. I feel welcomed. I feel like I'm growing. I feel like that was fantastic. You know, all these really, 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 it was beautiful to read, but that wasn't like the moment, right? The moment for me actually happened in the comments section. Because what happened is this, this transgender young person wrote this beautiful, non-binary person wrote this beautiful piece. And then in the comments section were all these other HopeWorks young people who in another world would have never interacted with this young person, right? That were just on LinkedIn making supportive wow. professional comments about like wow. how, it's great, how great it is to have them at HopeWorks, how much they appreciate their contributions. You know, like when you see that kind of stuff happening, like you're like, you know what? The world is crazy, but I think it's gonna be okay. Oh my God. Well, what an illuminating moment for you, seeing these lights of people's happiness shine. And I think that you definitely, you're definitely shining too, Dan. I could just see it within <laughs> yourself. You definitely are lighting up there and you clearly are in the best place ever, unless one of the, your friends that of course move on to these companies can hire you. But clearly right. I think you should stay there for a while. So I guess the, the next thought is where can people find you? Yeah, so so our website is www.hopeworks.org. You can just check us out there. We're also on social media, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, but usually the website's a great place to start. Okay, perfect. And all the information that you just mentioned, we will definitely put in our um, episode description and so forth. And all I can say is thank you so, so much. This has been like beyond a fun conversation. And I hope that our listeners, I think I always say that it's a learning experience. And I think I definitely have learned a lot and I'm sure they will too. So thank you so much, Dan. Oh, so much fun. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Okay.